Boag World is produced by the web design agency Headscape.co.uk. On this week's show, emerging trends at web direction at media, playful web design, and death to design by committee. Podcast for all those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on a daily basis. On a daily basis. On a daily basis. Designing, developing, designing, developing, running, Designing, developing, designing, developing, running, World Big Breakfast, a live episode of the Boag World Web Design Podcast, live from Web Direction and Media. It's wow. so nice of the 600 of you to turn out first thing in the morning. 600, I reckon it's at least 800, look. Yeah, it's, I can't see the back. See. There's just so many people. But do not fret, dear listener, if you're listening to this today. Nothing has changed. It is still the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag and joining me as always is Marcus. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Paul. And Relly. Hello, Relly. Hello. How are we today? Uh, it's, it's a bit early, isn't it? This it's breakfast luck. ridiculously Why early. Why do we go for a lunchtime podcast? I, I blame these Australian organisers. You know what Australians are like. They're all kind of fit and outdoorsy and rah, let's grab the day. Perky at six o'clock in the Perky. morning. Perky. It's unnatural. I think it's something to do with being a colony. Because <laughs> fundamentally they're still a colony. <laughs> Still a colony. How, how many Paul, Australian Paul, jokes are you You know the times when I normally kick you? Yeah, the table? this is one of them. This is one of them. You're too yeah, far away. You can't kick me. My concern about this early. Ow! Well done, Relly. There Excellent. we go. You just give me the sign, I'll just... Exactly, yes. Yeah. What were you going to. No, not again! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say, my concern with it being so early in the morning is that I won't be able to finish a. Yeah, that's my concern yeah. about you. But you are like that most of the time, to be honest. The inability to. Um, did you bring yeah. a joke this week? I've got four. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. No, I'm going to pick the best one. Unfortunately, we might just run out of time yeah, just before say, we get to that stage. Okay. Funny that. Talking of time, we've got a lot to get through today. Oh, oh that's my phone. Oh, stop. I'm such a bad person. I needed to keep a track of time and Maybe there's nobody here. Normally, are these speakers, off. they have someone at the, yeah, the front, it's don't they? Yeah, flash times Where's the... Do it, see, nobody. No, Look, is there one of the organisers in the room? No! Right, seriously, should we go and drag Do you know, in? I feel like a real second-class... Well, actually, while they're not here, let's talk a little bit about the truth about web directions and how <laughs> badly organised it is. Can I say this morning, they put us in a, they put us in a cheapo hotel <laughs> where the flipping shower didn't That's, work. I, I'm it was right so that. cold. No oh, moan, moan, water. moan, shut up. Get on with it. So this week's show is supported by Web Directions at Media. <laughs> no. Right, shall we move on to the news? Is that a good idea? Are yeah. we ready to do that? Okay. 
Okay, so what we're going to do um, this week for the news segment is something a little bit different to what we normally do. Normally what we do is look at four news stories within the um, kind of web design world. But what we're going to do this week instead is look at some emerging trends of things that are coming out of web directions at media. So partly for people that are in the room so that they, they know what cool things to check out. Because obviously my choice of what you should be seeing is far better than your own. You can't be trusted to make a decision by yourself and need to listen to me. Or alternative... Well, you are the granddad of web... No. No. Daddy of web design, apparently. I prefer granddad. Yeah, granddad. No, that's Zeldman. Oh, yeah. Zeldman's granddad. And I'm the cool uncle. Shall I say it again? You've said that so many times on the show now. It does get boring. You do know that. I've never been called cool in my life. (laughs) (laughs) You used to be a pop star. I was going to say... Should we talk about that for a bit? Yeah, right. No, <laughs> we're going to keep the show on track just for once. So what we're going to do instead is look at the emerging trends within web design, okay, we're gonna, or within the conference. Um, so if you're, you're here, you can go to all of the, co- uh, the, the sessions that I recommend. If you're not um, here, then what you can do instead is I'm going to recommend some resources you can check out when you, uh, when you listen to the show. And you can find those at the sh- Oh, flip, this is going to be interesting. At boagworld.com forward slash podcast. Anybody know what episode we're up to? It'll be 215? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think the one that goes out today is 215, so I'm going to go with 216. 216, yeah. Let's say it confidently. <laughs> hey, I'm organised. Right, so the first session that I want to recommend to you, and, and this is going to look a little bit biased, <laughs> but the first session I want to recommend is Relly's talk later today. Hello. What time mm-hmm. is your talk? Oh, good question. You don't um, know, do you? After lunch, I know that much. Uh, 1.40, 1.42.35 in the Purcell room, which we're in right now. And um, you're talking about microcopy. I am talking about microcopy. Right. So, exciting stuff. Uh, I'm talking about, if you don't know what microcopy is, it's all the, the little pieces of copy that you find on forms and as part of uh, tr- credit card transactions and um, when people go through a process of buying things, that sort of stuff, um, that usually kind of gets left to the designers and developers to come up with, and also error messages as well. Yeah. And, uh, and my talk is basically a big what not to do with your microcopy and then points you in the direction of several places to go and learn how to do it properly because time restraints meant that I probably couldn't read through all the bits of microcopy that I'd like. It also be exceptionally boring to read through. Yeah, it's much nicer messages. to point out bad examples. Exactly, very much. Wasn't there a website ages ago or a guy that wrote a, um, something about things... Who was the guy who talked about mystery meat navigation? Oh, uh, that's going back. Yeah, it is. It's a while. Because he did a great stuff where he, he, his whole career was built on ripping other people's <laughs> websites apart. Yeah. So it's the same principle you're talking about. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, but I just take copy. apart a few It's instructional people. copy. Instruct- yeah. Instructional, yeah. The but it's also right down to things like buttons and labels and yeah. all that kind of stuff as well. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Because as web designers, we constantly moan about the quality of copy produced by our clients. And yet we make the problems worse <laughs> with our own copy, really. Yeah. But yeah. we pretend we don't produce copy, but we do. Yes, they are. You are. You guys are content producers, and um, I thought you were going to say you guys are shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be so crass. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. I've read your Twitter feed. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. I come to the talk, and I'm that crass there. I put a kitten through a shredder as you in my talk. So. Yeah, followed by the baby Jesus. Yeah, I, I put the baby Jesus through a shredder as well. Why? What, what possible point could you be making? I say that every time someone says um, password login combination is incorrect, uh, you make the baby Jesus cry. Oh, right. Because so I'm you make him, him cry by putting him through a shredder. 
See, it's worth coming for this alone. <laughs> I say, you sold it to me now. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, my micro slide. Copy. But then, yeah. uh, as we were <laughs> discussing last night, it's actually very hard to get um, to get a kitten through a shredder. Yes, we were discussing the, the... The only way that I could see you could do it is you'd have to steamroller it first yeah. to get it thin enough. That's because you don't like cats. No, I don't. That's true. It's okay because I also mentioned that if you're not that keen on kittens, then I'm quite happy to put your genitals through a shredder and have a demonstration of that. As well. You can't say genitals on our podcast. Why not? Cop? You need to beep that out. <laughs> no, I don't. Because <laughs> it's got a clean tag. But that's not swearing. Yeah, gen- <laughs> but then she said cock. Did she? Ah, oh, right. Said cock. <laughs> right. We've just lost Managed that. Managed to you say it, it as well, Paul. In yes. fact, this is great because he's got to beep all of this. I'm not so beeping if we any of it. So we swear all Right, all together, podcast. everyone shout cock. <laughs> cock! <laughs> there we go. So that's great. Right. Oh, dear, it's too early in the morning. What are we doing here? Are you invited right. me on. Yeah, and therein lies the problem. So, yeah, so basically microcopy is everything from error messages, instructional text, labels, all that kind of stuff. So whether you get to hear Reddy's talk at Media or not, it's worth learning about best practice when it comes to microcopy. Um, fortunately, there, is, there are loads of great resources online. For starters, there's obviously Reddy's excellently written piece on the subject on 24 Ways. That's right. Know. With the, I liked the title, Construction of Instruction. Yes. Very well, that's, good. That's what microcopy is, really. So, again, there'll be a link in the show notes for when you get back. So this is going to come out next Friday to you and today, if you're listening to the show. Unless, of course, you're listening to the bite size, in which case it's going to come yeah. out in about three days. So, so it's very confusing. Wednesday. I stopped concentrating at that point. What did you say? Anna, Ooh. what time do you call this? <gasps> Round of applause for Anna. Hey. Woo! And it's just come in late at the back. So, um, so yes, check that out on 24 Ways. Excellent post by Relly talking about the construction of instruction. However, there are other people um, tackling the subject too. It's not just a one-woman show. It is not just a one-woman show. I quite like, I, I was having a look around, and I quite like Joshua Porter, who's written a great... Josh, Josh Porter is basically my god. I have a section in my talk, which is the Josh Porter is awesome section. Right. Discussing the ways in which he is awesome. Right. I mean, he wrote something called Writing Microcopy, mm-hmm. which looks like a really good post from yeah, what fair. I can see. Um, so that's well, well worth reading. It's a kind of brilliant introduction to the topic of microcopy, if you want to start off. Finally, the other thing Joshua has done, which I really liked, was um, the Microcopy Flickr group, which I yeah. think you pointed me at, mm-hmm. which is basically a showcase of great examples of microcopy. Yeah. Um, and so if you're looking for some inspiration as you write, it's a great place to start. So it's basically an inspiration gallery for copy, even though recently I've been saying inspiration galleries are bad. But these are not it. looking at, these are reading. Reading, which is much better. So there we go, that's um, our first uh, talk that I thought would inspire you. Who uh, out of you lot, who saw Rachel Andrew um, talk yesterday? Raise your hands. That was a good one, wasn't you it? You feel kind of school teacherish now. Raise your Raise hands, your hands children. children. Sit up straight. <laughs> yeah, you with your feet up, put them down, put them down. Yeah, it's disgraceful. I'm put jokes on the back of my feet. Brilliant, awesome. The power. So, um, Rachel had been talking about um, CSS3. Also, supposedly, in theory, Bruce today is going to be talking about HTML5. The reason I say in theory is because when I spoke to him yesterday, he had no voice yeah. at all. It was amazing. He, he has got a double, double act, though. He's got he a has. stand-in. Yeah, so body Patrick double, might yeah. be doing it instead. And Patrick's excellent as well. So, uh, it's kind of unsurprising that um, App Media this year is focusing on HTML5 and CSS3. You'd kind of expect it to. Um, and both Rachel and Bruce are excellent speakers, and I, I recommend you, you... Well, you can't check out Rachel's because it was yesterday, but check out Bruce's Unless today. Unless you have a time machine. 
It's not very likely now, is it? You never know. Been to the so, year 3000. Sorry. <laughs> you all right? Yeah, yeah I'm fine. Okay, that's I'm good. Changed. So, um, without a doubt, these are the kind of hot topics in the, uh, at the moment and the, the big areas that, um, that we're looking at as web designers. And it does offer a lot of possibilities um, for us as web designers. Um, of course, to be honest, this topic has been kind of done to death a little bit online. Um, however, because there's so much material out there, it can be actually quite hard to know where to start, which is why a presentation like Rachel's or Bruce's is invaluable, because it's a nice kind of introduction to these things. That said, there is some material out there worth checking out if you're not at the conference or if you want to follow up afterwards. Um, when most people think about CSS3, they think of things like border radius, gradients, and shadows, and that kind of stuff. There are literally hundreds of articles dedicated to this subject. However, there are a couple of tools that I just wanted to mention that you guys might want to check out. The first is um, a simple tool for generating border radius code. It's border-radius.com. Now... What's great about this is you just, it's got a box, and in each corner of the box it's got um, you know, a text field where you can put in what you want to be the border radius on each corner. Um, and then it creates the code for you. Now, it's not complicated code, but it, it just makes it easier than doing the Mozilla version, the, you know, the WebKit version, and the kind of default version. It just, you can copy and paste it and shove it all in in one go. Um, so that's worth checking out. The second tool which you can find at um, westsiv.com forward slash tools forward slash gradients, does a similar job for gradients, box shadows, text shadows, and transforms. So it's basically a GUI interface that allows you to kind of get the code for these things. Because especially with, you know, something like gradients, there's, you know, there's totally different syntax between different browsers. So it kind of is really helpful from that point of view. However, CSS3 isn't just about cool effects, as you will have known if you went to Rachel Andrews' talk yesterday. Um, and she wrote a great 24 Ways article on, on creating cleaner code that you might want to check out as well. Again, go to the show notes because the URL is too long to read out for that one. Um, as for HTML5, I've seen Bruce's talk before that he's going to give today. Well, apparently it's all new, but it'll be fundamentally the same. Um, where <laughs> no, he talks, he's written a new version of HTML5. He's just, just rewritten the spec yeah, just for you just this for week, yeah. Um, and it's really worth going to, really worth going to. Um, it just demonstrates how easy it is to start using HTML5 today, even though the spec is not fully supported across all browsers. But Bruce has also written extensively on the subject of HTML5, as a quick Google search will testify. Um, I recommend you check out HTML5Doctor.com. A, a, a single chair from the front. Um, that's a brilliant site. It's got loads of really good resources for HTML5. Um, he also gave a previous presentation you might want to check out at vimeo.com forward slash easy number to remember, almost as much as the URL I gave you at the beginning of the show, um, 69850530. Go to the that? show notes for that one. Yeah, show notes. Yeah. Um, it's a really you randomly pick URLs to read out and others you refuse to. How does it work? Well, because that, that one's shorter. All right, the 24 <laughs> ways one is 24ways.org no, 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 forward slash 2009 forward slash cleaner dis- um, dash code. I have no idea what you're saying. W- uh, <laughs> boys, 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 stop it. I will do as I, I please. I was just trying to get inside the mind of Paul. And how really? you make these it's decisions. Not, it's not a nice place to be, I would suspect. <laughs> and do you know, have you ever been there? No, I don't oh, exactly. want to. Angst-ridden. Angst-ridden. <laughs> I'm not angst-ridden. 
<laughs> so harsh. Right, can I finish this? Is that right? If you I are. thought I ought to add some entertainment at certain points. Well, yeah. you, you, <laughs> oh, have you got any more exciting URLs to read out? No, I don't. Just screw you both. <laughs> right, the final talk that I wanted to highlight is inclusive design that's happening this afternoon um, by Sandy... I'm not going to say her surname. What's what? What's what? What's what? What's what? what? You're saying that... Oh, you meant it's a surname. Oh, right. Um, are, you, are, you, are you sure that's the final talk you want to highlight? I'm just bringing that up. Why? Why? Aren't you asking someone on to talk about... Yeah, but that's in a minute. Don't mess up. All right, OK. <laughs> we, we, it just made it sound like you weren't that bothered by what Aral was going to be doing. Well, no, I, I am, but he's got a whole section to himself. Yeah, but it's the final oh, no, talk you want to highlight. You know, the, uh, we've got Aral on to fill some time. It's fine. Just saying. <laughs> just putting that out there. OK, thank you. Apparently the penultimate <laughs> section that I wanted to mention, or talk I wanted to mention, inclusive design. Inclusive design is not a term I've heard before. Am I really ignorant? Has anyone else heard that <laughs> oh, term? <laughs> you carried on that sentence quickly. Well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put your hands up if you've heard the term inclusive design. Okay. Yes, yeah, just you. That's really embarrassing. We can Apparently, cut that bit out. <laughs> according to Sandy, it brings together accessibility, usability, user-centric design, progressive enhancement, and user experience. So it's not much then. Yeah. So um, it recognises that a one-site-fit-all approach is not always appropriate, and that you need to provide users with more choice in how they interact with your content. Which seems to it, it seems to tie a little bit together with with um, Mark Bolton's talk on grids yesterday, which you wouldn't kind of think it did, but but it does. So I get the Why? impression. What? Why? Yeah, it, you can't. You leave that. Uh, it ties together with a talk yeah, on grids. Really well, Chris. Look, I'm trying to keep the momentum of the show going. No, I'm actually I'm, interested. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Why? Okay, because what he was talking about is how we need to accept that the, the web is not like print, and that your grid system should be able to adapt depending on the type of device you uh, device you're using, which right. is to do with inclusive design. Okay. Yeah. I don't have to justify myself to you. I, I was interested. Okay. It's not just so defensive. Do you think okay. we've kicked him too many times? <sighs> you, you've bruised my delicate ego so many times now that I just presume you're attacking me viciously. Delicate ego. Do, do you know, things have gone downhill since we've had rally as well, because I feel ganged up on now. Can do you, you get, wish to get on that Can side? you go get off the stage, please? I can heckle from the front. I'm yeah, loud that, enough. That would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. What was I talking about now? You're talking about inclusive design and how it tied in with Mark Bolton's talk. Yeah but I've lost interest in that bit now. I get the impression that um, Sandy choos- is choosing to talk about inclusive design rather than accessibility because accessibility has such strong connotations, doesn't it? Basically, you think about it being associated with disabled users and in particular those that use screen readers. And in fact, I'm going to get a boo at this point. In fact, accessibility is a much broader subject that includes accessibility for all, even those using IE6. Silence. No Just boom. tumbleweed. They all agree with me. No. They do. They're no, just aghast. They They're shocked. They're silenced by your stupidity. There's nothing wrong with IE6. I remember... When can, we we just, were, can we just get on the record? There's nothing wrong with IE6. There is nothing wrong with IE6. There you go. I said it I'm again. I'm currently talking to a, a potential new client who shall remain, remain nameless who are a very big company and all employees still use IE6. I know. And they have no plans to upgrade. No. I remember when IE6 came out, we rejoiced at its standard support. I remember that. How old are you? 
Old. Shut up. Mind you, I can't say that. So, anyway, Sandy has created um, a very interesting PDF on the subject of inclusive design, because I, I can feel the room getting colder at this yeah. point. Stop talking about i6. I know. Um, she's produced a great PDF, right, which you can download at the longest URL known to man, so you definitely are checking that out on the show notes. <laughs> um, it is really worth downloading. Um, it certainly gets you thinking in the right way about, you know, website accessibility, so definitely check that out. Okay. So that's our new segment of the show. Woo! Oh, yeah. You had to really force that clap out of them, didn't you? Actually, you've got to clap again because we've got two guests coming up. Yeah. We've got, we've got um, Arol Bolkin. Come on up, Arol. Come on down. Come on down. You have to walk a long way. Oh. There are steps up. Oh, oh wow. Look, Look at that. Look at that. Look leap to the that's stage. That's enthusiasm. Either you one. can sit there, Pick that's one. fine. Yeah. And, and we've also got Christian Kramlish come up as well. Oh. Come and join us. Woohoo! It's bright here. <laughs> Just relax. Tonight's winner. Relax. Huh. You don't need to get right on the mic. No. Do you feel a little <laughs> bit like Parkinson now? No, you just relax. Ah. relax back and it's all good. Yeah, just point sure. it yeah, slightly towards you. Slightly towards you and it's good. That's it. There we go. Right. So, um, so we've got... So, a role later today, you're giving a talk, which is the art of emotional design. Yes. <laughs> which is a superb talk, and I enjoy very much. Last Thank time you. I heard it. Is it been completely rewritten for this new audience, or are you reusing the essays? Entirely, within, entirely within the last two weeks, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe No. <laughs> and Christian, you're talking about the um, designing for play. I already have done. Yeah, that was oh, yesterday. Oh, was that yesterday? Yep, you missed it. Oh, no! I can't believe that. I thought it was today. I'm gutted now. Oh, no, well... I've how heard. did it go? Mm-hmm. Did it go well? You have to ask everybody else. How did it go well? How did it go? Well? Did it, it, go? it went well for me. Oh, hey, thumbs up in the back. Yeah, woo! Oh, that's good. Right. So, what I thought we'd do just for a few minutes um, is talk about this idea... Because both your talks kind of mesh together. You know, they're not, they're not the same talk, but they, there is overlap between them. And... And this idea of emotional design and playful design is something that seems to be really reoccurring a lot recently. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had an interview with um, Stephen Anderson on the show who talked about emotional design. Um, last week, it seemed to come up, there were three articles in one week about emotional design. And then we come here and again, it's all about emotional design, playful design, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm interested in why both of you have chosen that subject, why that's become your passion. So we start with you, Christian. Why why playful design? Well, um, I guess the idea grew out of uh, work I was doing more broadly in the the area of social web design. Um, I I was curating the Yahoo Design Pattern Library, and we uh, spent some time focusing on the idea of social design patterns to try to generalize about certain things that were showing up over and over again at many sites and kind of cataloging them so that other people can learn from, from you know, past experience. And, um, and as I got more and more into that, I, I realized that designing for social interaction is quite different from sort of classic UI design, mm-hmm. where if you think about the, you know, when, when you say UI, that's u- user interface, it sort of implies a single person mm operating kind of a device that gives them their own personal information back. You know, they open up their files or they check their mail or they look at their checking checkbook account or that sort of thing. Um, and that social interaction inherently implies a, a multiplicity of people. Sure. Uh, using the, the tools, not so much to talk to the computer, but to talk to each other 
through the through the the, the technology. And the technology yeah. at best kind of gets out of the way. In fact, mm-hmm. or just fosters that communication. So when you're designing um, now, and I would never say that UI design is easy because there's so many ways to do it poorly, and there's yeah. many skills involved in doing it well. Uh, and yet, it's a it's a fairly well constrained and controlled environment often. You can, you can say there, there's branching choices down the path, paths that you make, but ultimately um, many users are going to go through and have essentially the same experience. Yeah. Uh, whereas when you design for a social experience, you have to give up much more control. Uh, you have to grant that the, the users uh, collaboratively are going to create their own experience. And mm-hmm. at best, you're kind of, kind of set up the boundaries, uh, uh, open up a space for them, Give them some guidance, uh, you know, some helpful things. But at some point, it's like it's like inviting people over for a party. You know, the party lives or dies by the guests, not by the yeah. you know the hors d'oeuvres or something like that. Uh, so, so in that thinking then led to, to this this metaphor of play mm-hmm. um, and and the and, and ways that we can borrow from the real world and and how how you can foster that kind of social interaction. Um, you know how, how it's been done in the past for throughout civilization, and and um, I, I found the concept of play very useful because it, it cuts across everything from sort of uh, unstructured child's play, you mm-hmm. know, playground play, just what what makes things fun, um, to uh, to game play, and I think actually the idea of borrowing from game design is, is not fresh. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about yeah. that, but I wanted to be sort of systematic and say, well, what distinguishes a game from just loose play? Yep. Games have rules, games have goals, games have certain dynamics, and, and how can you borrow those ideas to, uh, to, to bring it into, into fostering social experiences? And then I also wanted to take it a step further and look into uh, the idea of the playing of music and how are instruments designed to be on one level challenging and, and hard to learn, but on the other hand, to help you play, to, to support yeah. what you're doing, and to, to make your mistakes sound good and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. What about you, Aral? I mean, you, you started, it's been a little while now that you've been talking about this idea of emotional design. <clears throat> where, did, where did your passion for that come from? Well, I think um, mostly from being disenchanted with the experiences that I've had with you know certain... Uh, whether it's websites or applications or... I mean, I get frustrated very easily when I'm using things. And um, if you think about the amount of your day that you spend interacting with basically non-human experiences, whether it's a vending machine or whether it's uh, your cell phone, uh, it's increasingly taking up uh, a larger amount of our days. So Mm -hmm. if we're having bad user experiences... Uh, it's not, I mean, user, in fact, is almost redundant, Mm -hmm. you know, user experience. It's, it's affecting our experiences, our life experiences. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think, and and as someone who creates applications and creates experiences, I was very aware of that. And, and these things frustrate me. So I don't want to create the same sort of frustrating experiences. I want to create experiences that are fun, that kind of lift up your day, that give you a little boost, you know, because seriously, what we're talking about is the stuff that we're creating affects the welfare of people, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's, we got to move beyond user experience to thinking about this as experience design. We're actually designing experiences that affect how happy people are yeah. on a daily basis. And I think that's where we need to move beyond just thinking about usability, which is a base that we need to reach. We need to reach that, you know, until we've reached usability, until an app is usable, we can't talk about anything else. But once we've reached that, I think it's now time to talk about how we can build things that are delightful and pleasurable and mm-hmm. fun 
that improve people's days, that improve their lives. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why I'm passionate about this. Yeah. You really are. I could tell. <laughs> At 7 a.m. in the morning. We didn't have any bad experiences, though. There'd be nothing to tweet about. <laughs> no. I mean, that's 90% of Twitter, isn't it? It's moaning about, you know... And moaning is good. Yeah. You know, moaning is that's good. If you're not... Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's emotion. emotion. <laughs> um, but if you're not frustrated with things, if, you're, if you don't uh, have issues with, uh, with things, then you won't change them. Then you won't... Uh, you know, I mean, designers, I think, inherently are unhappy with certain things and want to improve them and change them. Or else, why would you? Why You'd be happy with the status quo and you'd be like, mm. yeah, things are okay. And um, I think some of the best designers are some of the angriest people I know. I don't know. <laughs> Does my, that make sense? I, my husband would desperately come under that. <laughs> Paul's not well, an angry man. To, so he not, is when you present him with a bad user experience. Exactly. And, but you've got to use that and kind of go, okay, now how can I make this better? Yeah. I, you know, I don't like to boast. But I would say that I think Headscape has produced the most emotionally powerful design ever. Marcus, do you want to do you want to share? The, do you want no no? You you were the one that discovered it. Do you want to share your experience about um, testing for a certain pet charity website, where you got the best emotional oh. response ever from someone? Well, we didn't. The the very first um, first test of this was design testing. Uh, she didn't make it through the test. Uh, the whole of the, you know, well, her, she didn't make it through ten minutes, did she? Well, no, it wasn't even that. No, left in floods of tears. So we made someone cry with our design. That's how good we are. What, we can... what did you do? Well, Showed her a picture of a flogged puppy. So, I think. Electric shocks. So, so, so basically, this was a, this was for a pet charity website. And uh, the first woman that came in for the design I mean, test thought, session. Do pets give though? a lot of money to charity? Oh, no, yes, apparently, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we brought the design up on the screen. And this woman took one look at it and burst into tears. And it was because the dog on the screen reminded her of her dead pet. So she cried. Couldn't get over it. I mean, she could not get past it. And that was it. The end of the session. And just thought, just and, for the record, like, is this going to be like this all day? Unfortunately, the rest of them were kind of really cool. It was a good, a good day, a good session, but yes, <laughs> I was very concerned. Just oh. for the record, that's not what I talk about when I talk about emotions. <laughs> <laughs> it's not but, how to make users cry. <laughs> I want to go back to what Christian said about because I'm a musician, um, about comparing design to musical instruments. Is that what you're saying there? Is that because obviously to master a musical instrument takes a lot of time. Uh, but it's an incredibly pleasurable thing once you've mastered it. Are you saying that good design, or yeah, potentially good design for, in certain circumstances, is something you need to learn, and then it'll be more and more enjoyable because no, of that? No, no, and, and it's a good question. But I, I, and, and I think I need to be clear about sort of where, what level I'm applying the metaphor to. Sure. What I'm saying is, is that that. Um, because it, so also what I'm talking about is the, the concept of, a, of generative interfaces or interfaces in which users then co-create something. So often, instead of giving people a finished, uh, completed, a fait accompli, um, what you're giving them is tools that they then can use to express themselves. Sure. You know, and and um, at, at the so I'd say that that I sort of think of it as a spectrum where the the loose, unstructured, easy play is the, the simplest thing to enter into, but maybe something that ultimately doesn't allow you to fully express yourself. And then the, the game-like structures um, give people more, more facility, more structure, m- more, more of a context in which to interact with each other and, and have experiences. And then if you, if you take the giving people sort of instruments, so the instrument metaphor is sort of for the user more, sure. more than for the designer. Um, and then there's a spectrum of are you giving them 
a toy piano, a ukulele, a, a very sure, easy yeah. to learn, easy to start with instrument that maybe eventually is going to top out and not allow them to play Bach or something like that? Or are you giving them a harpsichord or are you giving them an electric guitar with a rig or something like that? Um, and, and, and maybe you can give them a, a, a scale of tools so that the, your super users can be you know, really rocking out and re- really inventing things you never would have thought of inside the context that you're building. And, and I, I think that I'm still toying with this metaphor and I've gotten some pushback for exactly the reason that, that uh, instruments are, are sort of, uh, musical instruments are sort of famously hard to learn. You know, there's this idea that it's, it's a big hurdle to get over, and it, it's uh, discouraging for a lot of people, especially if they don't start as a child. Um, and it, it was partly my own experience playing ukulele and, 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 and learning that, that, one, some instruments are easier than others. So you can sort of give people a, an on-ramp, a, a simpler thing to do that mm-hmm. delights them and sort of draws them in further and further. And also, more generally, as I was kind of making friends with my first ukulele, I, one thing I realized was that, that the instrument isn't fighting you all the time. The instrument has been designed over, over millennia sometimes to actually fit a human hand, to, to uh, tend to sound good if you, if you, if you just stay reasonably within certain boundaries. You know, it's tuned so that the accidentals will, will kind of come in sometimes and, and help you out. And I think that's, that's actually one of, one of my key points is, is to make it so that when the user makes a mistake, it might sometimes have a beneficial effect rather than giving them an error and throwing them out or something like that. That's something I've never thought of before. I really like that analogy. Mm. It's, it's why guitarists complain about playing stuff in E flat and things like that. Because exactly. your accidentals never work. Yeah, and why the, the horn, the horn yeah. players yeah, you know, yeah. d- d- don't want everything to be in G or E minor exactly. or something like that. Yeah. I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is all beyond my head. Um, Rob, do you, I mean, do you think that there are times where this is all in danger of becoming gimmicky? Do you know what I mean? That, that, With you know, the show. <laughs> oh, that happened a long time ago. That was ages ago. I was going to say, no, the whole thing, the yeah. whole premise is wrong. You know, with, with the idea of playfulness and emotional design and all this kind of stuff, you know, I look at some of the great examples, and, and you know, the one that springs to mind is, is MailChimp, right? MailChimp, everybody goes on about MailChimp being emotional design, things about it that make you and smile. And Aaron's amazing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, absolutely, and it's great. But there, you know, when I and they showed the example of where you pull out the browser window and eventually the monkey's arm snaps off, which is just so cool. But Funny is thing. equally, it's borderline gimmicky as well. Do you think there's a danger of that? Yeah, of course there is. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you shouldn't be recreating Clippy in what you're doing. You know, <laughs> is, is, the, is the key thing that, here? That's a rule for there, life, I think. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, when I when I build an application, I'm quite aware that I'm putting my character and an aspect of myself into it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, I have an app where there are little emoti emot- blobs, uh, these cute little things that look like marshmallows um, that you know kind of guide you along. And they're they're but they're not clippy. They're they're kind of a, I, I'm aware that it's an aspect of my character that's in there, and it's and and, and it's been designed. Uh, with that in mind, um, Clippy, you know, like why doesn't Clippy work then? Clippy's like supposed to be in there and helping you out and, and, and something you can relate to, right? But it's whose character is it? It's Microsoft, right? It's, it's Microsoft's character is in Clippy. I mean, whenever I look at Clippy, I see, I see Steve Ballmer in paperclip form, you know, <laughs> staring back at me. He's like, hey, how I, you doing? I think I prefer that actually. Steve you, Ballmer Steve, in, in paperclip form would be. Probably. Yeah, I could go for that. Yeah. 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 I, I do think these things, I mean, any of these things can be gimmicky if they become formulaic mm-hmm. and if it's just imitation 
of an idea without necessarily understanding why it was there in the first place. And yeah, you see exactly. that you see that kind of cloning of other people's ideas all over the web all the time. There's something to be said about authenticity, and, right. and, and I think that's the thing. You're communicating. The things that we build communicate with people, and just like humans can be uh, authentic or not, the experiences you're creating can be authentic or not, and I think it's, it's, it's key to be authentic in crafting these Also, I think when you, when you say human, uh, that's an important point, that um, I, I think part of the trend, um, Paul, that you sort of are picking up on that a number of different people seem to be approaching these ideas from, from similar directions is I, I think the sense that the, the interfaces and the technology are becoming more human or opening yeah. up more space or they need to yeah. or they are. But, but um, that, you know, computer science, sort of the history of it has been training human beings to learn codes and, and, and to, to do things in a very rigid way. Yeah. Um, and, and once you become an expert on that, you sort of become protective of that idea. It's like a, it's like a guild that you're in and it gives you an advantage. And, you know, why make it easy for, for, for grandma to do it or something like that? But I, I think that... that um, like, for instance, Chris Fahey has been giving a really good talk about how interfaces are becoming human mm-hmm. um, and, and, and having faces and having personalities and having conversational qualities and things like that, um, which turns out to work much better because our minds have evolved for talking to human beings, not yeah. for entering codes into teletype machines or something like that. So, so I think there is a gimmicky aspect to it, and it can reduce to that, but I think the more broad direction that, 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 that has a lot of power to it is this sense that that the, the, the computers need to move much closer to the, the human experience and become mm. warmer and more emotional mm. and more... And, and, and that, that's actually not just something that is cute or clever, but actually works better. Yeah, yeah. And it's difficult to do as well, because, I mean, oh, yeah. if you think about how difficult it is for human beings to communicate with each other, I mean, we know humans, right? We are humans, so we should therefore know humans. And yet, how often do you miscommunicate? How often do you misread uh, body language or, or what I'm actually trying to say? Am I being sarcastic or am I not? Um, and, and I talk about this in my presentation as well, but... Um, if you then remove the human from the equation and you try to script that interaction, I mean, you get something that's far more difficult uh, to, to, uh, to actually talk to a human being where you're not involved in the conversation firsthand. Mm. And to try to script that is very difficult. Mm. I mean, it, Christian, right at the beginning, you were talking about the fact that you've come at this from a kind of a social angle um, and that that was how you approached the subject. Do you, do you think that this kind of emotional design or playful design applies only to social sites or is it actually could it apply to every site or are there some situations where it shouldn't apply um yeah i don't think it's it's limited to to um when you're designing for for social interaction certainly you can have um, i mean i don't i don't know for instance how social mailchimp is except inherently that no. mail has a social quality but um so so i think that playfulness can exist certainly in a you know you there you can play jacks by yourself and things yeah. like that so um, uh, th- that certainly exists. I, I, there probably is a time and a place for it, um, mm. and I sort of say that you know there's a there's a dichotomy t- between play and work, and um, you know nobody likes work. Uh, I have to do it. Um, you know if they didn't if they didn't pay me, I wouldn't do it. That's sort of the, the quality yeah. of work, and yet the world sort of requires people to take out the garbage and drive the trucks and things like that. So so you can probably, you know, we probably can't create a utopia where everything is playful all the time. Maybe, you know, 
going to the funeral home to deal with your parents' death is not going to be a playful experience <laughs> yeah. on, on some level. And, and there's probably you know, doing your taxes may never be playful, things yeah. like that. I, I think there's still you can nibble around the margins probably and take some of the drudgery and some of the dreariness out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like the idea of get it, getting usability, you know, get, get the horror out of it, and then maybe you can make it fun. And that, yeah. that, that, that's a, a higher ambition. But, uh, but certainly context is all, right? I mean, the, the, these things are not universal mm-hmm. laws. You have to always be thinking about who's going to use this and in what context. And, you know, there's going to be giant industrial systems that are probably going to remain mechanical and and, and inhumane for quite some time. Yeah. And if you looked at, um, if you saw uh, Simon Willison's talk yesterday when he was talking about crowdsourcing as well, he showed some examples of how even mundane tasks, you know, can be made fun by making them into a game, basically, like identifying a scenic part of town, for example, uh, made into a hot or not style experience. Uh, They do the same thing with wildlife near you um, to try and pick out the best animal photos that have been submitted. So even mundane tasks can be made fun if you make them into a game, if you add elements of Yeah, I think there's uh, some of it is just not settling, not accepting that things have to be done in the the most dreary way that Mm. first occurs to you because, again, because maybe it's it's easy for this computer yeah. To, yeah. to make a just give people a, a, a form and have them fill it out. Yeah. You know why not stretch a little bit and make it easier for the human and a little harder for the yeah. computer? I think the way I approach it is um, I basically see user experience or creating good user experiences as worrying about the right thing, and the right thing is your users' problems, not your problems. Mm-hmm. So the example I give is if you're starting on a new project and the first thing you think of is what's my database structure going to be like or is it normalized, you're worrying about the wrong thing. You're worrying about your own problems and then you're going to trickle that solution to the user, trickle it down, and that doesn't work or trickle it up actually. Well, sure. Um, How many times have you, you, know, you say, well, why don't we do it this way? And, and the developer says, well, we can't, we can't. We've already made architectural decisions exactly. that don't make that possible. Exactly. Oh, and, that, and that's the point where, you know. That's everything that's in my talk. <laughs> yeah, is it really? <laughs> Hooray, I've got it right. Awesome. Go see Riley's talk. She's talking about that. But that's the key thing. And, and the thing is, if you worry about the user's problems, you're going to be creating more problems for yourself. But that's okay. Because our problems don't matter. It's okay if we have to work harder. Lean you know, back and mostly you do. But we're getting paid. The, the user isn't. So you know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, you know, I could. I, this is a subject I could talk about all day. It's it's far more interesting than what we're going to be covering next. But I'm going to stick with my program. There's nothing like sh- selling up the next part of the show. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Give them a round of applause. Thanks for having us. Feel free to go and join the audience. Okay, let's move on. Um, Our final section of the show is brought to you by Shopify. I have to do the advert now. It feels weird doing an advert in front of a group of people, but it is a good advert for Shopify. Can you add the advert out? What, in creative dance or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. could do, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Shopify is an e-commerce solution made by designers for designers. Um, and, it, you know, it's a hosted solution. It's actually very good. Um, and for more information, you can visit shopify.com forward slash Boag World. Okay. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap up the show by talking about design by committee. Boo. This is really just a little rant from me. Um, and it's been something that's been building in me for a while. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? Because we all know design by committee is horrendous. Um, and I think even most clients know it as well. Yet it still happens. And so I wanted to look at why it happens, 
and what we can do about it because it's become a really big problem in my mind. Have you ever heard a line like this? Wow, that looks great. I'm just going to show it to a few colleagues before I sign it off, right? Sounds such like, like such a positive statement, doesn't it? But we all know instinctively that it's going to lead to hell on earth. Um, and it's the kiss of death of any project. And it's really funny because even if there's no formal committee, so when I talk about design by committee, I'm not just talking about a formal committee. I'm talking about any situation where the website owner or your client is showing the design around, right? So sometimes they want to show it to their aunt or their nephew or whoever. They just start showing it around and it, it just turns into this absolute nightmare. And I think the, the problem is... is twofold really from just to clarify why we think it sucks right the first is that design is subjective so what one person thinks is amazing another person hates um but unfortunately i think a lot of website owners feel this desire to please everybody don't they um and however when when you kind of try and please everyone you we try and keep come to a group consensus you inevitably end up with a bland design that really, okay, nobody hates, but doesn't really inspire anybody either. Um, so it's not so much designed by committee, designed by compromise that I think is the problem here. And the second is that stakeholders, whoever is asked basically to comment on the design, rarely have all the facts to make any kind of informed decision. So they don't know the product his- project history, they don't understand the target audience, the business objectives, the success criteria, and even when they do have these insights, they rarely understand why the designer took the approach he or she did. So nine out, nine out of ten times, the person is just given the design and asked, what do you think? Which it's really difficult. So, so where, where, you know, what gets me and what kind of really frustrates me is that if we all know that design by committee is so flawed, why does it happen anyway? And I wanted to put a bit of thought into this so I really understood why clients did it in order to be able to overcome it. Um, so I, I sat down and thought, well, okay, so Why? And, and I came up with a list of reasons. The first one is a website owner is often not the decision maker. So the person you're talking to isn't always the decision maker. Instead, that person is a project manager who has to get h- approval from higher up within the organization, which obviously is a bigger problem if you work with larger clients. Also, often the, the, the decision maker can be out of their depth. So many website owners have never run a website before and never made decisions about design. So they therefore feel this need to um, get advice or opinions from others in order to reassure themselves about the decisions they're making. Also, another problem is that design, as I've already said, is subjective. You know, but the very reason that we use that you shouldn't have design by committees, also the reason they use for having it. Because their logic goes something like this. If design... Um, is subjective, then how can I make a design decision alone? Surely I need to consult others and get a wider opinion than just my personal taste, which I can kind of understand. Also, I think there's this aspect of wanting to share responsibility. In many organisations, there's a, there's a kind of culture of blame and arse covering and that kind of stuff. So, and that inevitably leads to your, your point of contact being reluctant to make a decision by themselves. Um, and they know that they, that they need to consult widely, otherwise they're going to be blamed when things go wrong. 
And the kind of final area which relates to that is this idea of there's a political necessity to kind of talk to other people. Many website owners know that committees are bad, but they've got no choice. They feel that, you know, that if they want to get the design approved, they have to consult others. Um, so whether you're in, it involves consulting internal stakeholders, they feel that if they don't do that, if they don't consult internal stakeholders, then they, these people will block the design on principle, whether or not it's a good design. So there are actually really good... I think re- there's one more as Go well. On. I think that, and this comes to kind of, this is because of speculative design, um, which I'll blame on the print industry. Yeah. Um, or a lot of people, particularly in marketing departments, see the, their job as critiquing design. Yeah. Uh, you know, and from their point of view, they're used to having design that's delivered to them to, to impress them. And it's, you know, it's kind of not, it's not their fault, therefore. Yeah. You know, they're used to critiquing design that's been, that they expect design to wow them, yeah. if you like. So when, when a new project comes along for web design, there's nothing new there, I, I need to, to add my input to this. It's part of my job. It's a part, probably a part of the job I, I really like. Yeah. It's kind of I'm being a bit arty. Yeah. All this kind of thing. So uh, overcoming that involves education and being very upfront about your processes and about how, what you expect from them, which I'm sure you come on to. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's an issue. You can normally tell those people that you know, they're looking forward to <coughs> ripping it apart. Yeah. You run into extra problems with content and copy for the same reason, because mm. everyone can write a little bit. Yeah. And usually if they're working in marketing and whatever else, they're actually very good writers. Yeah. And, um, and so you present them with the content and the copy, and it goes off for four rounds of corrections and comes back looking like nothing you started off with. And yeah. you put your head in your hands and say, but there was a reason I did it like this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's the point, though, isn't it? Explaining the reasons yeah. why, you, yeah. why you do things. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's, let's deal with that then. So, I, I am determined to get rid of design by committee. It's time for it to end. It's a right? crusade. Join an arm. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it starts with you lot. That we need to get rid of it. But, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to come up with some, some methods of dealing with design by committee that we can use as web designers when dealing with clients, but also that our clients can use when dealing with internal stakeholders, right? The people that they feel this need to show the design round to, all right? So here we go. So first approach is to separate the problems, right? So design feedback, in my experience, normally falls into two two categories, the aesthetic and the structural. So if a design is going to be rejected, it's either rejected because it doesn't feel right, right, which is a kind of aesthetic thing, or because people are arguing over features in the navigation or content on the homepage or that kind of stuff, which is structural, right? So the danger is that an entire design is going to be rejected on the basis of a content dispute or because somebody doesn't like the blue, okay? So it's the equivalent of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't like this tiny part, so I'm going to chuck everything out. So the way to avoid this um, is to to not start off by showing a final design, not jump straight into that final design stage, but instead to present mood boards and wireframes. So a mood board focuses on the aesthetics, while a wireframe focuses on your structure and your information. 
And this has two advantages. First, it allows your stakeholders to separate in their minds a decision about aesthetics from a decision about content. And this prevents the the entire design being rejected because of a relatively minor issue. Second, producing a mood board and a wireframe is considerably quicker than a final design. So this means that even if elements of the design are rejected, it isn't a major rework to kind of to do them. Now, um, it's worth checking out my South by Southwest talk on this, which is um, how to get design sign-off. No, is it? Something like Something that. Like that. Um, close enough. Close enough. You'll be able to Google it. You'll find it. Because I go much more detail about, about wireframes and about mood boards. So the second thing I think we can try is the divide and conquer approach, right? Manipulate people. Yeah. What's that? Manipulate people. Manipulate people. <laughs> Coerce them into a, the correct No. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Right. The the problem is, is that what we should be trying to do is speak to these people, the people that have to be consulted for political reasons or whatever other reasons, speak to them individually rather than as a group. Although this is best done in person, let's be realistic, it's not always going to happen that way, so do it over the phone. Go to great lengths to talk to people individually because it provides enormous benefits, right? Here's your benefits. It prevents design on the fly, right? So when you get a group of people discussing design, they try and reach a consensus. So one goes, I don't like the blue. The other person goes, you know, I, you know, I don't like yellow. So you end up compromising on green in the room. Right, which means that they're kind of making decisions on the fly in the room, and you lose control by speaking to people individually. You present that you prevent that problem. You stay in control of the situation. Secondly, it neutralizes that kind of alpha male character. So, in a group meeting, there'll always be someone who dominates the the um, the, the conversation. Right, the alpha male. Although it's not always a man. Just <laughs> yeah, I saying. wondered when you were going to throw that in. So um, they can, the thing is, with that person, and you know who I mean by that person, don't you? They overwhelm the quieter members and bounce people into agreeing with, to your particular standpoint or their particular standpoint. So by consulting people individually, you avoid them getting too great an influence. The third benefit to consulting individually is it puts you in control. By speaking to people individually, you're the only person that knows what was said, right? And that puts you in a powerful position to allow you to pick and choose what? Nothing about coercion and being... Manipulation. No, no, no. (laughs) This is practical. Finish the sentence as it's written here. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this puts you in a powerful position that allows you to pick and choose to the feedback you use. That's not manipulative. <laughs> so basically, if choose. you don't like some of the feedback, you can ignore just ignore it. it. I, don't, I, I wasn't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, let's move on to the next point. And we're not saying it doesn't work, and I'm we're not saying it's not the right thing abs- to do. We're just saying it is manipulation, I and that's fine. Absolutely support this. Yeah. I, I do a lot of stakeholder interviews, usually uh, not to do necessarily with just design, but you know, content usually to do with information architecture in big institutions, where one pers- one very important person says, "Well, I'm far more important than everyone else," and then yeah. you know, they all say the same thing. And basically what you're trying to do is ask them a, a set of generic questions that they're all going to answer in a positive way. Yes, of course I want the homepage to be effective and blah, 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 all this kind of thing. And then you, you basically consulted with all, the, all of them individually. They've all had their say and they all agree with each other 
individually and it really does work and yeah. obviously that can ap- apply to design well, no, as well. I was going to say on a practical level you said about speaking to someone on the phone I would say don't do it by email because as soon as you send an email it gets yeah. sent round to yeah, everyone yeah, it else can't anyway. Be email. It can't be email it's got to be yeah absolutely. It's got to be person to person communication. Next one next next um, tactic you can use um, is ensuring that I mean, this goes back to what Marcus said. Ensure that the um, the opinions that are being shared are informed decisions, um, you know, informed, uh, you know, comments and feedback. So some stakeholders, um, uh, stakeholders will argue, some of your clients will argue, that they don't need any background information on a design in order to judge it. They say that users don't have any background when they see it, so why should they? The answer is simple. They're not the user, Right. The stakeholder needs to judge a design on the biz- from a business perspective as much as from a user's perspective. So they need to understand the business objectives. They need to understand about corporate guidelines, what the competition are doing. In short, they need to understand the context the design was created in. However, in many cases, the stakeholder will pass the design around an organisation or to their friends and family. And what do they say? What do you think? No background information, no context, no education, no nothing. So the obvious solution is to provide the background to each stakeholder before um, asking for feedback. However, to avoid those kind of group meetings that we talked about earlier, you need to present to each stakeholder. But the trouble is that's time-consuming and repetitive. So what we started doing, well, you've got a couple of options, right? Um, One option is that you can avoid the problem by providing the design as part of a presentation, either in PowerPoint or as a PDF or using an application like Get Sign Off, subtle ad. GetSignOff.com, go there now. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, people don't always read the copy you give them. So I'll tell you something we started doing, which works really well. They don't get a static design. They don't get a page mock-up. They don't get a URL. They get a video. A video that contains the design and me talking over it, explaining why the design is the way it is. This started off with me and a remote Scottish client uh, and their information architecture. And it was like, this is going to go to about 40 people. Yeah. And how can we do this without... And even going up there, we couldn't get everyone in the room. Video. Brilliant. And And so it 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 means that they can't get away from the context... Unless they mute it. But that's a bit extreme. So, um, so I, 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 honestly, if you take nothing else away, that is really, really useful. The other thing that I want you to encourage, um, the, I think it's a, a final area. No, it's not the final area. <laughs> the penultimate area is to control the feedback, right? If you ask the stakeholder, what do you think? You're encouraging a personal response, right? Instead, ask questions that focus the stakeholder on the real issues. So... Does this meet your business objectives? Do you feel the target audience will respond favourably to the design? All right? It's also worth focusing the client on factors that have informed the design. Is the design in line with your corporate branding? Is the design um, what you expected based on the approved mood boards? Does the design reflect the agreed visual hierarchy agreed in the wireframes? Right? Notice subtle. A, yeah, subtle. Yeah. <laughs> Notice that the above questions are yes and no answers, right? Um, this prevents the feedback straying into personal opinion. However, it is a little restrictive. So what I always add on is, if not, why not, right? 
So if they turn around and say, well, I don't feel the design um, uh, is what I expected from the approved new boards, they have to then justify. Asking why not achieves two things. First, it forces the stakeholder to better articulate the problem and ensure that it's a valid one and that it's well-reasoned. But second, it opens the discussion a little bit beyond the kind of yes-no. Um, Unfortunately, no matter how well presented your design, there will be times when people cannot agree. And in that, this case, you need to turn to testing, which is my last point. Ultimately, any amount of stakeholder feedback has limited use. The stakeholder is not the user, and it is the user that the design must appeal to. And that's why, whenever possible, do some kind of testing with real users. Because um, design testing can be an, a great way of breaking a deadlock between stakeholders or between you and the, and the client. So by asking users to comment on a design, you're effectively rendering their personal opinion, um, sorry, uh, you're rendering the personal opinion of stakeholders redundant because the user's opinion is always more important. Best of all, design testing can be done really cheaply and there's some great services out there to help you do it, which will be in the show notes. Finally, I just wanted to say that um, it's worth stressing to your stakeholders that no design decision is set in stone. You know, often the best way of evaluating a design is to actually put it live and then change it later. For larger sites where the stakes are high, you could even do things like A-B testing. I think a lot of clients don't grasp the fact that this isn't print design. It's not set in stone. So just try a few of those things. I think you'll really find that it helps to kind of ease designs through and avoid some of that design um, by committee. And notice at no stage am I suggesting you shouldn't consult and the design shouldn't be passed around. Um, I, I really believe in a collaborative approach to design, and that design doesn't spring spontaneously from the creative mind of a designer. Sorry, I don't think it works like that. Um, but I do think that, that managing that process is really important to get it right. Knowing what everybody's responsibility is within the process, that's the, the important thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And knowing that the copywriter is always right, ultimately, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously none of this applies to a copywriter. When a copywriter speaks, that is law. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that about wraps it up. We've run over time, Marcus. I'm really sorry, but no time for jokes. Fine by me. That, that, uh, yeah, see? <laughs> no, you, you were waiting for the oh. You were waiting for the oh. no, we've got to have jokes. Look how deflated I am. Yeah. So, should we ask if they want a joke? Right, raise your hands if you want a joke. Yay! Oh, come on, people! You what? had a chance to yeah, crush to Marcus then. On your own head, be it. Should we go? Whew. Should we just leave right. him to his empty gonna... stage? Right, I've got a joke about hunting or a joke about golfing. And I'm just going to read one. What should we do? Hunting? Golfing? Hunting. Okay, cool. There's a couple of hunters are out in the woods when one of them falls to the ground. He doesn't seem to be breathing, and his eyes are rolled back in his head. The other guy whips out his cell phone and calls the emergency services. He gasps to the operator, My friend is dead, what can I do? The operator, in a calm, soothing voice, says, Just take it easy, I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence, and a shot is heard. The guy's <laughs> voice comes back on the line, he says, Okay, now what? <laughs> That's terrible. That's not terrible. Aww. That's a good one. Macabre. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. A little bit. There was a, there was a vague titter, which yes. is quite impressive for this time in the morning. Yeah, we need to get an audience in for his jokes more often. <laughs> when we do them in the podcast room, it's just silence. Yeah, it's like, okay, Marcus has got to do a joke. Joke. Let's move on, right. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much for getting up so early and joining us. It's much appreciated, and um, thanks. 